0: If we're talking about the climate change, I thought about this. I saw their song, I guess they call it hip hop or whatever, but I decided to do an alligator version. Ride until I can't no more Take my horse to the old town road I'm gonna ride until I can't no more On oh, my horse's back, my hat is matty black Alligator style shirt and boots are kinda whack. To the rodeo on my horse, you can drive your horse. I'll take a shortcut through the valley, I bet you i get there first Can't nobody tell me nothing Not a doggone thing, y'all. Can't nobody tell alligator nothing. Didn't have a tractor plod the fields with my mule. Hard work, but we raised a lot of food. Tractor drank gasoline, mule worked for hay. Plus he told the funniest jokes. Had me laughing all day. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Not a doggone thing. No! Baby's got a habit, with some Maserati sports, car. Okay, I save my quarters in a mayonnaise jar. Don't want to stress, I've been through that. They call me cowboy cool because I just, to the old town road I'm gonna ride until I can't no more (laughs) oh yes so let's get rolling again alligator in alignment our country during these times when things are so divided in America well around the world People say they don't know what's fact and what's fiction, what's fake news and what's not. I'm going to say something right now that everybody in America can agree with. We need this. We need something to unify us. I'm going to do it right now. Here's something nobody in America can disagree with. I am alligator and you are not. Okay? That's it. (laughs) Come on, you guys. Let's let's get it. Let's get it on us again. <laughs> we got Ted Schechter here. We got Nate Kanye. Kenye. Yeah, Kanye. I like it. Uh, anyway, we are. This is a continuation of our uh, climate change uh, discussion. It's it's a follow through on, on on Ted was actually Peter Turner was my guest on the introduction when I first started to do this, but Ted was my first actual guest. Um, so this is a continuation of this, this is uh, section two of section three now of the climate change. thing. So, you gentlemen start,
1: you want to, uh... so last, in the first episode we talked a little bit about the things that are going on, but I'd like to ask if you guys have any other thoughts on how we can change these things from happening, from exacerbating these problems on an individual level, on a policy level, uh, on a corporate level? Are there any changes that you could see that would um, really help us to mitigate these effects that we're now experiencing?
2: Well, I think we should first just level set on the fact pattern and the stakes, as it were, which I know you've done in prior episodes. But – and I think Ted's probably more articulate on this matter and maybe more uh, scientifically grounded. But we are at a point where if we don't make, you know – very, very substantial changes to our wholesale way of life. Um, our planet is going to look very, very different than it does today, become very, very inhospitable, lead to you know large amounts of uh, suffering on a human level and, and large amounts of biodiversity loss on a natural level. Like we, our world will not look like it does right now. And I'd say that not to be alarmist or you know to be incendiary. that's just the fact. So really when we talk about the interventions that we're trying to make, those are the states. It's not, you know, oh, I have a particular viewpoint. I'd like to see people marginally change their way of life. We're really talking about, are we able to avert, um, you know, a, a crisis? Well, it is a crisis right now, but avert the worst effects of that crisis.
3: Yeah, I think we have to We have to get, in terms of the climate change, part of this, I think we have to electrify. We have to get onto renewables as, as quickly uh, and, and thoroughly as we can. I was reading an essay by uh, Bill McKibben just this morning uh, when he was trying to think of the recommendations to make at various levels. And he said, we should be encouraging uh, young people to become electricians. (laughs) We're gonna need tens of thousands of them or whatever the number was, a lot. Um, It's a good paying job and it's making a huge contribution to what what's needed, so that's just an example of of of, uh, of of what could be done. We need to build out the infrastructure. Right now, we have electric cars that are getting more and more popular, but the reality is we don't have our charging infrastructure set up, so people can't take the the kinds of trips that they'd like to take because they don't have the range, and when they, and and the and the uh, recharging stations aren't there. So there's a need for that kind of thing. Um, and uh, at the same time stop funding fossil fuel extraction uh, it's just baking in more climate change into the, into the atmosphere uh, and we have to stop doing that so that gets, it, gets to the whole issue of the political will and uh, how money influences political decision making and so on
2: yeah, I think as a heuristic, you know, there are certain aspects of the economy that are far easier to decarbonize than others, and the production of greenhouse gases varies by the country that you're talking about. In America, actually, the primary source is transportation, um, but I think globally it's power generation. But there, there's essentially five categories that you can think about, which are all between maybe you know 10 to 25 percent of greenhouse gas emissions, and. Power production is one of the largest ones. I think that's about 25% to 30%. Uh, there are difficulties with transitioning a grid to a renewable grid, but that's something where there is a known solution for how to do it. And we're, we're moving pretty quickly. Um, we need to move faster, but you know, producing energy from renewable sources, that's a technological solution that we have, and it's something that we need to implement as quickly as we can. Then you look at the consumption of... Um, energy, you know, transportation being a very big sector. And, and the answer there, you know, at least in the short run is electrification. Again, we need the infrastructure to support that electrification. We need the technology innovation and the, you know, battery supply chains to be set up in a way that's environmentally conscious. Um, so, you know, there there's some solutions there and there, there are other parts that are trickier, like something like aviation or like long range, you know, commercial shipping. Those are much more difficult than passenger cars to electrify or to build in a sustainable way. You've got um, agriculture, which we, we've we talked a lot about. We can talk some more there. But agriculture has the potential to be massively productive in terms of its impact on uh, the the world. Because you're, you're literally talking about the, the production of living things. And there's a way to do that in a way that's very sustainable and in tune with the planet. And there's a way to do it that's very destructive. And um, then we've got, uh, we've got uh, energy consumption on site in buildings. And so that's, you know, burning gas basically to heat buildings. And that's almost, I think, 15% of uh, energy consumption globally. And there are there are a lot of things we can do there with things like heat pumps and better insulation and stuff that can actually make a, an appreciable difference. Um, and there, there are other parts of that on the last mile that are trickier. And then the last one, which is probably the most difficult to decarbonize, is industrial production. And we have, you know, I think about a quarter of... Uh, greenhouse gas emissions globally are from <laughs> industrial production and these are things like welding metal that just require a ton of heat basically and it's very difficult to get that heat without combustion um, and it's you can't really do combustion without fossil fuels and there, there are certain processes that are just very difficult to um, to 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 electrify and you know there's ideas around you can do kind of carbon capture on site so if you know I'm burning a lot of Fossil fuels to weld steel or something like that. You know, maybe I can capture that carbon on site, pump it into the ground. But the the industrial production is probably one of the hardest ones to decarbonize. Although um, some of that is just our imagination and honestly regulation. Like it's very interesting with cement, which produces about I think eight percent or something of global carbon emissions. A lot of the uh, a lot of the things that prevent more carbon neutral cement production are actually our building codes do not support um, the the kind of type of cement that we can build that is carbon neutral. Like you're not allowed to put that into an actual building because the building codes aren't updated. So that was an exhaustive, um, you know, and in, in some ways comprehensive in other ways not very deep assessment, but I think it's just, it's helpful to level set on there. Really these kind of five categories and each of them have areas in which it's very easy to, or not easy, but it's a solved problem in areas that are unsolved. And then I think there's also the global dimension of it too, where, you know, in America, we're talking about people that live according to a very high standard of living, and how do we make that standard of living and that level of consumption, which is completely unsustainable um, at its current level, sustainable in countries in you know the global south or or other areas where there is a very high amount of you know legitimate poverty? You're talking about how do you bring these people up to a higher standard of living? while doing such in a sustainable fashion, because the model for doing that everywhere else, whether it's in the US and Europe with industrialization or, you know, recently in China or a country like India, um, has been to do it in a completely unsustainable way. So how do we get ahead of these areas and help bring, you know, more people into the middle class globally in a way that's sustainable?
3: Yeah, Nate, you mentioned carbon capture and storage uh, on these hard-to-decarbonize industries like uh, concrete manufacture, for example, and I agree with that. But one of the things that we're seeing is that carbon capture and storage is being used in other areas of industry as a way to continue burning fossil fuels. So I I spoke uh, earlier uh, in another session about how we're taking 40% of the Iowa corn crop and turning it into ethanol, which is being blended with gasoline to burn in cars and trucks. So that's putting more greenhouse gases in the air. Now, right now we have a a tax incentive that's been built into the the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed in Congress a, a year ago that extends tax credits to companies that are making ethanol out of corn. If they capture the carbon dioxide that's coming out of the ethanol production, put it into pipes and ship it to a place where they can put it into the ground to sequester it or use it for enhanced oil recovery. So that's a misplaced tax credit because it's continuing business as usual. Whereas what you were suggesting is capturing carbon dioxide on plants that are really hard to decarbonize. And I agree, that's a real challenge. But we shouldn't be talking about giving public money to support carbon capture on a coal-fired power plant that ought to be retired completely and replaced with renewals. So those are some policy adjustments that really ought to be made so we're not continuing to foster more fossil fuel production.
2: What's your, and I'm really actually inarticulate on this because I haven't read into it too much, like maybe, Ted, give us a quick summary of the Inflation Reduction Act and you know what it is, what, what works well about it, what's perilous about it.
3: Uh, I, I don't know the Inflation Reduction Act comprehensively at all because it touched on so many different aspects of, of, uh, of the economy uh, and people's lives. The part of it that I am I'm more familiar with, where the where the uh, the uh, inclusion of these of these mm-hmm. provisions for carbon capture and storage and other forms of energy production, uh, there's some very good things in the Inflation Reduction Act having to do with supporting the transition to renewables and so forth. So I don't. It's not sort of a blanket. Uh, uh, rejection of it i'm just saying that there were some things that were built into it probably out of political necessity mm-hmm. just to get something passed uh, that that uh, i'm aware of that i was bringing up in terms of carbon capture and storage
0: the unfortunately for america we have an administration now in office that is sensitive to the climate change issue and wants to work with it and hopefully we can keep that same uh, political uh, thing in power here, maybe we can make some progress there. I've said this since I was, well, for some time. I've always been against technology because, uh, <laughs> I, I said since the industrial age, uh, technology has done nothing but basically ruin the earth, you know, the all of these factories, the smoke and all of that stuff. Uh, But right now, the way things are going now, I feel like the only thing that can really save us is technology. Technology created this climate uh, problem that we have. And at this point, only technology can save us. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we have some brilliant people working on, on on these problems. At some point we will, somebody will crack the code for hydrogen
3: energy I hope. Well they're already working on hydrogen energy but if you really sort of dig down more deeply you find that if you're not careful you end up putting more CO2 in the air than you're than you're removing. Then you're removing. Uh, because it's, it's energy intensive. Now I mean I I won't go into all the details mm-hmm. I don't know, know them as well as others do but it's just that uh, there's what's called green hydrogen and then there's blue hydrogen and then there's even red hydrogen and and uh, if you're not careful you're buying into hydrogen production that's actually causing more causing more yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's an example but but I, I think your comment about technology uh, I think it's important to see what what problem you're trying to fix. The, the, in, in agriculture, the industrial agricultural model is an example. There are people hard at work at UC Davis, just up the road here yeah. in California, trying to figure out how to feed cattle in an industrial feed lot so that they burp less methane. I as
2: heard if, about, that's, I heard as that. if
3: that's gonna solve the problem. Don't. Don't challenge the whole system. Don't redesign the system. If methane from these feedlots is what we're concerned about, then let's figure out how to make a cow that creates less methane, how we're going to feed it. I, that's technology, but, mm-hmm. but it's applying it into a system that's meant, its in a way that's meant to continue to perpetuate the system. That's the problem to begin with. So anyway.
2: Uh, well, so you were talking, Ted, in the prior episode about, you know, the there's this concept the social cost of carbon, which is like fought over, you know, ad nauseum and uh, and essentially what it's trying to do is it's trying to put a price on, you know, the emission of of carbon dioxide or or another way of thinking about it is this concept of externalities that there are impacts of our consumption that we don't directly pay for. And the, the red meat is an example here. Like you can buy a hamburger. I mean, it's gone up, but you can buy you know, whatever, 80% lean ground beef for $5 a pound. And that in no way reflects the economic cost of that consumption. But if you really narrow it down to a very kind of honestly myopic conception of that and you set it up in our current market ecosystem, yeah, it costs $5. So I think, um, you know, there, there are many ways in which it's not only innovation and technology. And I think technology is a double-edged sword because I think that, people would like the answer to be easy and so the idea that oh there's going to be hydrogen or someone's going to crack fusion power and we can just go on living exactly the way that we were cuz some brilliant scientist figured something out is is not going to be true and i think i think it can be very dangerous but by the same token i think that we also have to realize that we do have many amazing technologies at our disposal and hopefully new ones that are developed that we need to bring to bear to solve this problem but i think that there there's other innovation and that's required. And, you know, Bill Gates is someone who, he, he says this, and I'm not sure how fully he's kind of internalized what it means, but he talks a lot about how we need to be thinking about redesigning economic systems, social systems, governmental systems, along with the technology that we have to solve these problems. And so I think a lot of the innovation is not just innovation in a pure technological sense. I will say too, that I'm a big skeptic of uh, technology oftentimes. Um, and uh, one of my favorite pieces of technology is actually a mobile check-in for those boarding passes. I don't know if you actually have those. I think that I think that's a great innovation, and I, I wish more technology could be like that. Yeah, you just have your boarding pass on your phone and oh. pop it right up. It's, it's it's really great. That might sell you on it.
1: So um, some of you gentlemen have sort of touched on this a little bit. Um, and without getting too into the weeds, it does seem that... Um, environmental awareness even is sort of a bipartisan issue in the United States political system today. Uh some of the things that we've talked about are like meat, red meat specifically and like, you know, is it sustainable if you're moving towards a greener future? Um but something else that we haven't quite touched on is uh electric cars and specifically the sort of environmental impact that, you know, getting uh mining the rare earth metals that are necessary like this, cobalt uh... Um, and the recyclability of these. Um, can you speak any about that at all? Is that an issue that people are aware of? Is that just another political um, shiv that we're able to sort of divide and you know keep from actually speaking about this issue? How would you...
2: Uh, I think sh- the supply sh- chain sh- is it. really problematic in many ways. I don't think, like, net-net it makes it the wrong thing to do, but, I mean, I think the... The lithium mining the cobalt mining um is i mean the my understanding is that the lithium mining is one of the reasons that chile elected the government that they did um because they have been you know among many other things that uh have uh negatively impacted them from kind of the larger western world using them as a source of raw materials in many cases but the lithium mining very recently has been extremely acute there and it's caused a lot of environmental destruction and um and then just to, honestly just all this steel project steel production for all these new cars. I mean, like there's a huge, huge carbon footprint. Every time you make a car, whether that car runs on a battery or not. So I think there are a lot of issues with the supply chain that we need to work on. Um, but I don't think that it means we shouldn't electrify our transportation fleet as quickly as we can. I also think there are national security issues with it too. Like the battery supply chain is, you know, a lot of it runs through China. Um, And we need to onshore more of that.
0: Yeah, that has to change. We have to start making...
2: Same thing with photovoltaics, too.
0: Yes. We have to start doing more stuff in this country. uh, Because if we don't, uh, another country could actually hold us hostage, so so to speak, for certain stuff that we can't get. But I, but I'm sure that that's going to which work we've had way. with
2: oil, by the way. It's not like we've yeah. you know been adverse to being held hostage over our energy <laughs> supplies, but it is something we need to address. Yeah. So, what about on an
1: individual scale? Um, what are things that our viewers maybe could do, change in their daily day lives that may not you know completely overhaul the way they go through society, but that could make um, on a large scale a tangible impact.
3: I think we saw some of it during the COVID pandemic, uh, when people started working from home, for reasons related to the pandemic, uh, and we we changed the way we have meetings. Uh, it's qu- it's quite extraordinary how how much people's travel. Patterns changed uh, with the pandemic, and now we're seeing as as we're trying to resume a pre-pandemic level of activity, we're seeing uh, real changes in in how people work, um, how often they go into an office. It's it's led to major changes that aren't always good for the inner cities. of Of for example, New York City, the office occupancy rate is really down. To, to the point where it's having a, a real economic impact on the city. So that's sort of a double-edged sword. Um, we're seeing um, we're seeing uh, questions about how important is it for a person to actually travel to a, a university or to a, a business for a job or a, a, a student interview. You could do it on the internet. So we're beginning to see uh, some changes at individual and semi-individual levels um of course there's the usual stuff about changing your purchasing and eating habits and transportation habits and single-use plastics yeah those are things but we we need we need broader systems change to have a real impact i mean those things are worth doing and and good and so on but they won't have the scale of the impact that's necessary i think
2: i think um One thing, and and the transportation one is a double-edged sword. Like, there's a reason we're shooting this podcast in person. We could shoot it over Zoom, you know, and it would be nearly the same experience. So, like, I do think that one's tricky, although I agree that there's a lot of unnecessary travel. I mean, I think a big one is, is for people to reorient their mindsets, and this is something that I've tried to do personally, around viewing consumption as, um, an end or as a source of happiness. Like you know, consuming things can be eating great food or, you know, purchasing great art or, you know, going on a vacation. They can be things that bring a lot of joy and happiness. But I think we've got a tendency in our society because of just the, the abundance of options that we have to consume things that just don't even impact us positively as individuals. And in many cases, they make us unhappy. And that kind of vicious cycle over and over again, you know, eat more red meat and I become healthy and, or excuse me, I become unhealthy. Um, and I just continue to kind of go back to the well and consume more and more. I think breaking that cycle and and it's, it's a way that we've been trained. We've been trained that we constantly need new things. We constantly need to buy things in order to be happy, in order to be wanted. And I think, um, you know, getting outside of that and just being really conscious about how we spend our time and how we spend our energy. And when we do choose to consume something, um, why are we doing it? Uh, you know, how is that thing produced? I think that would actually make a big impact because I think that would start to lead to some of the social momentum and social consensus that are required to really create the systemic change or, or the pressure on the political system to, to facilitate the systemic change.
0: It's a heavy. <laughs> you know, the uh, we got one of the things that we that we could should be a little bit optimistic
2: about. Uh, by the way, I am optimistic. I'm I'm on team <laughs> optimism. I
0: know that. I, I know that. You know, I think we we all are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? It's um, well, there have been
2: some wins. Well, therapy is there's, expensive. I mean, the, I mean,
3: <laughs>
0: there's been some good changes. Since you know, since we cut out soda, the cobra, the the uh, spray stuff, what is it? What are you? The aerosols. Yeah, aerosols and CFCs, all this stuff. CFCs, we talked yeah, about this. Yeah, and the, the, and the DDT. You know, all all of these things have uh, helped to improve. I think there's one section of the ozone that repaired itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually repaired itself, and the result, and it was the result of banning all of these this other stuff that we were using the photo carbons I forget the name they call them CFCs uh, yeah and 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 it actually repaired a section of our ozone so we can affect change help to reverse this thing it's going to be painful it's going to be painful because uh, a transition like we have to make in order to save this planet is going to be painful and unfortunately, as we stated earlier, the, the large amount of that pain and suffering is gonna be with poverty-stricken people and people of color, the, the, the main brunt, of, brunt of, the, of the thing. But believe me, we, we are doing things to help and we just need to continue we need to get more of the p- political uh, power behind climate change. And that's hard to do when the oil company is carrying the purse, so to speak.
2: You know what else I think people can do? Um, talk about it more, but especially kids talking with their parents. I think that's a, that's a big one because I think there's a, there's a very stark generational gap. And I, I don't include you in this alligator, but I, I would include many people of your uh, generation. And I think, you know, kids just opening up and being like, look, like, this is this is hard. And like, we, we need we need your support, honestly.
0: And, you know, one of the things that has been very heartening to me is how many, the, what do you call them? The Generation Z, or G, G or whatever what do they call them, Z. Z. <laughs> they are really, aware. I mean more more aware than, than their prior generations were. Yeah. They are really aware of these problems. And believe it or not, soon after, after this next election, I'm I'm predicting that the old guys my age, the old folks, are gonna get the hell out of the way and the next generation takes over and there's gonna be more and more focus on the things that are really, really important, and and the, the encouragement that I'm seeing in, from the Generation Z, that they are really uh, much more aware than the private prior generation was of, of all of these problems that that we have, and more willing to do something about it. You know, so that's just my my hope. <laughs> you know?
3: Well I think you're right that yeah. that, that there's a tremendous amount of political interest and, and enthusiasm for change. But I do think that uh, we have to look at how money has contaminated our political system. Ooh, yes. Because it's really hard for some candidates to even get on the ballot, even to be yeah. voted upon because they can't because because they don't have the kind of financial support that's needed these days. I mean, we're talking about elections that are, are now costing billions of dollars to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and you know, Gen Z doesn't have billions of dollars. Yeah. To, yeah. You know, so... Yeah. so, so uh,
2: Their parents do.
3: Well, <laughs> yes, their parents do. And, and uh, uh, it gets to your point about how children, younger people talking with their parents is important. I mean, we're seeing that dialogue going on more and more and I think that is optimistic but mm. I, I'm still concerned about the amount of money that's contaminated our politics. Well, the money is
0: definitely contaminated. I mean, wh- why do you think that it's so hard to pass gun laws? Because we have, the, I think it's the Republican Party that is almost, uh, the, the NRA is the biggest contributor to the, to their entire thing. So, So they, you know, they don't, they don't want to uh, to deal. I would hate to be a, a young child now coming up. Because you've got to realize that the way things have been going with these mass shootings and stuff, do you know that when children go to school now, that's got to be in their mind the whole day that they're in
1: school? Oh, they have drills. Yeah, they have shooting you know? drills.
0: That, you know, at any minute... You know, yeah. is, you know, um, but yet and still, even with that, the political will to pass real gun control. Nobody wants to do away with the Second Amendment. I love guns. I love hunting. <laughs> I love all of this stuff. I mean, hey, give them to me, you know. Uh, but uh, the, you know, of course, the, we're getting off on a different subject. So I'm gonna kill this. Uh, the assault rifles, and all, we all know that nobody needs that to go hunting. If you kill a deer with those things, what's left, <laughs> you know? Um, but I would hate to be a child growing up now with with this climate change thing hanging over your head. And every day when you go to school, you, I mean, they have to be thinking about that. Yeah, sure. They, they just have to be, you know? But anyway, this world, it's gonna, this world is waking up. Uh, what They have a thing now they call the woke, woke <laughs> society. And they said, what does woke mean? And woke generally means that you are sensitive to issues like this. You know, you're, you're sensitive to issues like race or, or, or climate change and all of these, these, these things. Um, do you? fortunately like I said we have seen what we can do we've repaired a, a part of our ozone and we have lakes and rivers here in America that used to be heavily polluted and we've cleaned them you know, you know I mean we've actually cleaned up, cleaned them yeah, up yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. um, now the Colorado River is a uh, The condensation, because of global warming, the condensation is happening so fast that the Colorado River is losing water all the time. And the cattlemen who live along that river have came to the conclusion that they have no choice but to cut their herds, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Because the river would not be able to sustain the the water for their herds like, like they used to. Um, and that's a, that's a good thing because it will almost force some of these, uh, farmers, cattle farmers, uh, uh, meat, meat people to be more aware of, to change their ways. They're going to be forced to, but. There are so many. There's so many things that we as individuals can do, and and I th- I think that's uh, that's becoming a part of the of the consciousness now, because we've turned a blind eye to this climate change thing for 50 years that I know of. I remember when when when, mm. when, when scientists first started screaming about that, you know, a good a good 50 years ago, and uh, it's only fairly recently in our history that the general populace is starting to even pay attention to it, to realize.
2: Yeah, when you get five winters in a row where your lake doesn't freeze, that used to freeze, and you're like, (laughs) huh, let me look into this. (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes, I've a... Now, now, you know, I, I saw an interesting thing about farming. They've invented this new way of, of of planting seeds. They say that tilling the soil has always been bad. When you plow, when you plow the soil up, you know you lose mm-hmm. stuff. It's always been bad. So now I, I saw this demonstration where they have this tractor with this thing that goes along behind it, and it rolls, and it has all of these these little uh, things. Anyway, they put the seeds in this thing and the seed goes in the ground. They don't plow. Mm-hmm. They don't plow the ground. you just put the seeds in the ground and they grow. And so you don't till the soil and by not tilling the soil, you keep the moisture in the ground and the carbon and, 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 the, the, carbon. and the carbon. Yeah. And when I saw that, I said, this is a real game changer. If it,
3: the, excel. Yeah, the, the one, new, but new but but this is a this is again one of these technological interventions that has these other ripple effects. So it ends up with no-till farming that you use heavier amounts of herbicides to keep the weeds down, uh, because you're not plowing up the weeds when you plow. Yeah. So so now you got to use more herbicides, and so we have. Tremendous amounts of herbicides being used in farmland across the United States. California and Florida are the biggest users of, of uh, pesticides, but uh, the Midwest oh. use of herbicides on oh. the no-till uh, Corn farming for example is quite quite dramatic and so that has its effects because those are poisonous. I mean they Those herbicides have impacts on people and wildlife. So anyway, uh, there are these trade-offs that we're always dealing with as we try to address these problems. I remember when I used to live in Fresno,
0: They they had that Thule Fog, they call it. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is actually agricultural fog. It's what it is. Uh, and, I, and I remember I, I used to be uh, in, in that area, when that Thule Fog came in, I, I used to think about just what is in this fog? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I mean, just incredible amount of toxic stuff in this fog, because the fog comes from the, the, the agriculture.
3: And it's, uh, it's just, um, yeah, Fresno has some of the worst air quality in the state. Uh, at times it's much worse than Los Angeles. Um, and it's a combination of the, of the geography there. But also all that agriculture mm-hmm. you know, and, so, fires. And, and fires and fires. <laughs> no, but he, but he, you know, uh, the pesticides and the uh, uh, smog from all those industrial uh, uh, feedlots. The emissions from there get into the get into the atmosphere. It creates ozone and smog. Uh, I mean, it's the chemical reaction that goes on in the atmosphere. Uh, so, so that it's some of the worst air quality in the state, and that has health impacts. So the kids, oh, yes. so the the kids in, in Fresno have really a, a lot of asthma, for example, that's directly related to the air pollution. So that's that's how it sort of ripples through; it, its impacts are, are felt. So what do you what what do
0: you see as any recent uh, uh, developments that might be positive in the climate change community.
3: Well, I think I think there's a lot of enthusiasm around uh, some of the changes in agriculture that we've talked about. Mm. Um, there are programs that bubble up here and there that that uh, are, are designed specifically to address the climate change problem. I think that. Um, uh, the electrification of transportation that we talked about is is is, is a positive change, and it's accelerating. Um, I think the interest uh, of young people in trying to address the climate change issues is very is very positive, and I think there will be some really creative uh, uh, re- things that bubble up out of that. And I, I I think that we're seeing uh, certain sectors of the economy are really concerned about climate change impact. Um, we're seeing more and more pressure on divesting from fossil fuels, uh, getting getting them out of pension plan, uh, of portfolios. Uh, and just, just today I, I was reading about a series of healthcare uh, institutions who claim that they're interested in trying to address climate change in their operations as, as hospitals, but it turns out that their investments for some of these large ones are have a they have a lot of investment in the fossil fuel industry. They ought to be divesting from fossil fuels. Um, so, but the divestment has happened. Harvard's getting out of fossil fuel investments. Uh, Calpers st-
2: and Calsters, I think, have done some stuff. Yeah, yeah, they have. I mean, I know that. I think it was Calsters with the whole ExxonMobil Engine One proxy fight. Cal- yeah, one of the two. Yeah.
3: So, so the, those are economic pressures that are being brought to bear. Uh, so it's, it's a collection of things. Yeah, I hear a lot of the uh, uh, banking systems are telling the
0: oil industry, suggesting they t- they just stop investing in in fossil fuels. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's a uh, they see the writing on the wall.
3: It, there are state it, there are state pension plans that are invested in fossil fuels, and so with this. Interest growing around the country. There are legislators now, legislatures in some states, that are passing laws that prohibit their state from divesting state pension plans from fossil fuels. That's the power of the fossil fuel industry in government mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they can get legislatures to pass those kinds of laws. Uh, but you know that's not happening everywhere. So there yeah. are states that are getting out. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think, I don't know, I think there's a, a growing both explicit and kind of um, intuitive understanding of the crisis that we're facing, um, and I think that's building, and I think that'll continue to build, and I think there's, there's momentum against it, and there's momentum for it, and like I said, I mean, there's, climate change has met or exceeded our worst predictions, more or less, for 50 years, I mean, like some people will cite like the you know IPCC you know 4.5 scenario of like oh well, plants probably not going to warm 10 degree or you know 10 degrees Fahrenheit or something like the absolute do nothing case emissions continue to increase at the rate they were in the 90s, but more or less the the worst predictions have consistently been met and the impact that's in terms of temperature rise and then the impact of those predictions has been far worse actually than scientists thought it was going to be. You know we thought the types of things we're seeing now with heat waves, ocean heat waves, land heat waves, um, would only happen with maybe double the warming that we've currently had. So the the macro picture in that sense is quite depressing. I think the flip side of that is that we are waking up collectively at different levels. Um, and like I said, I mean it's gonna be a it's gonna be a horse race. But as far as the momentum that I see and people engaging with the topic and, and you know, bringing themselves to the space that they can creatively think about ways to address it, that's really accelerating It will keep accelerating. And for me, like, I'm happy to see that because that didn't exist five years ago.
0: Donnie, you come take my chair. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, not, I'm gonna set up for my closing song. You come here. Let your gentlemen.
1: All right, I'm the man behind the camera. Some (laughs) of you know me as Cowboy Donnie. He's uh, the mystery voice. You got Donnie. Donnie's back. (laughs) Oh, Donnie's back. Yeah, but I just wanted to, you know, thank you guys once again for being on here. Um, I I haven't had the opportunity to sit and talk with you like this. I'm really glad I have.
3: Yeah, it's nice to nice to be here with you. Of course,
1: yes, Ted and Nate. We had the opportunity to speak like this long format once before, and Mm -hmm. today is just as a little bit more whiskey that time. A little, little bit, (laughs) yeah. But uh, you know. Um, you know, I really, I think what you said earlier is important, you know, it's important for parents and kids like us to be having this conversation. It's important for people from different, you know, parts of the country or parts of the world or different viewpoints to just sit down and have a talk because at the end of the day, it really seems to me at least like we all have the same interests at heart, whether you're left or right or a conservative or, you know, uh, liberal or we all want, you know, a good future for the next generations. We may have different ideas of what that is, but we all want, you know, security in some sense. We all want, you know, opportunity. And um, though we have different ideas of how to achieve that and what that would look like concrete, um, I think at the end of the day, sitting down and having conversations is something that's become a little more rare. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think, um, you know, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that with
3: us. Well, thanks, my pleasure. And thanks for putting this together. For your work, yeah.
1: Oh man, it's it's a pleasure, man. I really like obviously listening to Dad, you know, chop it up and <laughs> have some good music, straight on that guitar, but um, you know, I just I love the people I get to meet along the way and uh I hope to keep doing this and yeah, I really love it, man. I let's, hope we get the chance to do it again sometime too.
3: Yeah, thanks. Let's, let's get up. Are we scooting out?
0: Yeah, ready? Well I personally I see, I see <laughs> this cat becoming a part of uh, of a uh, thing. You know what I mean? Trying we, to trying to do my best. Whenever we, out, do, yeah. we do have a subject, I'm, I'm gonna get a hold of
2: you. Yes, let me know, Mel. Always happy uh, to chat. The next this particular
0: uh, show is going to come out in two parts. I'm gonna put out put it out uh, tomorrow or, or tonight maybe when I get home. Put it put, put it up, and then a couple of weeks, a few weeks later, we're gonna put up the second one. But in between that, I'm gonna have Richie Valens. His birthday is the thirteenth of next month, and we're doing a podcast next Saturday with Mario Richie's uh, little brother. He runs; a, he's a big alligator fan and a big friend of ours. He uh, runs a band called uh, the Backyard Blues Band. He's going to talk about his brother. If you know Richie Valens, was the most popular for La Bamba. But he did a lot, of, a lot of music. He was in the plane crash that they made the song, they said the day the music died, Richie Valens, mm-hmm. uh, the big bopper, and the guy from out of Texas, what was his name, uh, America. Uh, the guy with the glasses, anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Richie Valens, we're going to do a show with his brother. And just, I'm going to do this little thing here. Here's one of Richie's songs. Cause I love my girl. Don't know where can she be? Where can she? That you gone and left me all alone, all by myself, to wander and wrong. Cause I love my girl. Don't know where can you be?
1: Here?
3: I mm-hmm. do
0: Kanye, I mean, Nate Kanye, no, uh, Mario Ramirez, the brother, little brother of Richie Valens. I've also got a gentleman uh, coming up from out of Petaluma who is a ec- uh, expert at Cuban percussion. And uh, he plays all of the instruments that the Cuban people play, the, the poor folks. Uh, he even plays uh, a whole For some reason, they made percussion instruments out of everything. We used to do that when I was coming up too. I remember we used to play the saw, you know, the saw. You get the saw and you get the thing, uh, spoons, and we used to play all kinds of stuff. The first instrument I had was a called a diddly bowl. I remember we used to take a piece of wire from a a bale of hay, knock a nail, put it around nail, nail up here and a nail down there, and stretch the wire. And then you used to go and get your mama's sewing thing. When they the spool that the thread, sewing thread was on, this was a little, little thing, little round uh, thing that the thread was on. You put that underneath the wire. And you, it's a one piece of wire and you moved it up and down and you could tune it. And you could play songs on it. And there's a, a rhythm. Uh, one of the founding fathers of rock and roll was a gentleman called Bo Diddley. And that's where his name came from, from the diddly-bow that poor folks used to play when they couldn't afford guitars. That, you know, that was the first instrument I played. I made my own diddly-bow on the side of a barn. And believe it or not, you could play those things. You know, the washtub bass, all of those those things. But anyway, this gentleman is an expert on all of these Cuban instruments that the, the, the farm workers played and how they get their sounds and all of this stuff. So anyway, we got some exciting stuff coming up. This is Alligator in Alignment. I'd like to thank my friends for being here. Um, you're going to hear more from my friend Nate with us. We, we're going we're gonna to do more, a follow-up again with, with Ted. The, this is not the, the end because <laughs> this is a continuing subject here, you know, and it's going to be relevant no matter as, as time goes on. So here's what I say. This is Alligator in Alignment. I say happy trail.